0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Blue Wire.
1: Welcome back to Cash Considerations, the Chicago Bulls podcast. I'm Ricky O'Donnell. I'm with Jason Pat. Jason, tell us everything about Vegas.
2: Uh, no, it was great. I was kind of hoping to maybe see uh, like an NBA player, some maybe a Bulls player out there. I was kind of actually hoping to see like Myers Leonard out there, Illinois guy. I feel like that guy probably likes to rage. Uh, but it was great. Good fun. I was out there for a bachelor party. Got a lot of sun. Got some solid sunburn going. It was at a pool party at, shout out to Chaos at, uh, I believe, the Palms. That was that was a lot of fun. So yeah, I mean it was nothing too wild. I don't have any like crazy wild Vegas stories. I was I was in bed by like midnight both nights because we were out at the pool all day and full days of drinking and sun just I'm basically washed at this point, I guess. But yeah, it was a lot of fun. I'm glad to be back. A couple days in Vegas. That's about enough for me and uh glad to be back and uh talking some more basketball.
1: So you come back to awful news, Jason. What's uh, that? John Paxson and Gar Foreman are still in charge of the Chicago Bulls. Yeah, I want scaling was... ourselves creatively to go on a fire Gar Pax rant every week. Uh, I think that that's just you know a productive use of our time. So I'm going to take it this week. Let's give a shout out to the Minnesota Timberwolves, who have totally revamped their front office this offseason. It started with them hiring Gerson Rosas away from the Houston Rockets, where he spent 16 seasons, uh, doing some scouting, some analytics. Under Daryl Morey, he was Morey's VP of Basketball Operations, I believe. Well, he's now taken over full control of the Timberwolves, and he made a big hire this week hiring session Gupta. He was formerly uh, with the Pistons. He came to the Pistons from both the Rockets first, where he worked with Morey and Sam Hinkie, and then he went to the Sixers, and he was Sam Hinkie's basically number two in command. Now he's taking control with Rosas with the Timberwolves. So, These are just like two smart, bright basketball minds who have been on the cutting edge of advanced thinking about basketball for the last decade, who are very hireable, who are out there, you know, to be had. Uh, These are the kind of moves the Bulls should be making. Instead, you know, we're still stuck with Paxson and Foreman. The Bulls are still valuing loyalty over actually trying to win and improve as a front office, improve as an organization. When we say fire guard packs, these are the type of people who, ideally, we would like the Bulls to replace them with. So just, you know, shout out to the Timberwolves, who seem to be really making over that front office. They did keep Ryan Saunders as head coach, which surprised me. He's only a year older than I am. He was born in 1986. Pretty crazy uh, that he'll be back for them as head coach. But I really like what the Timberwolves have done in the front office. Just hiring some smart guys who know what they're doing. I think the Timberwolves are a franchise that is going to be trending up because of this front office takeover. You look at the Bulls uh, and a lot of these other big market teams, the Lakers just seem like
2: they're gone.
1: <laughs> Shout out. Uh, another bad week for the Lakers, as it always is. In the Bulls, it's like, you know, you got to hire some smart people and not just rely on your brand, like carrying you to success. Just because you once drafted Michael Jordan doesn't mean that this thing's going to be rolling forever. And when we say fire guard packs, these are the type of people I would like the Bulls to hire.
2: So you're saying you wouldn't want to hire Rob Plinka? Just, to, just to be Rob clear Brody. about yeah, the that. The one
1: thing the Bulls have going <laughs> for him right now is I don't think they're as embarrassing as the Lakers. So that's something, I guess. But then again, the Lakers did find the Brown James, and you know the Bulls can't even get anywhere near that far. So uh, let's take it to some fan questions, Jason, because we asked some people to just like you know drop us a line on Twitter just to take questions for this podcast. So I'm going to read the first one. Uh, this is from John B. He says, if Jerick Culver drops to seven, do you take him over Kobe White? So I've been thinking about this. There's only really one scenario where the Bulls would have Culver and Kobe White on the board. That would be if Cam Reddish goes like four to the Lakers. DeAndre Hunter goes five to the Cavs and the Suns take Darius Garland at six. At that point, the Bulls would be choosing between Culver and Kobe White Probably the best case scenario, as far as I'm concerned, because I view Hunter and Reddish as kind of landmines in this draft. I wouldn't want either of those guys. Culver and White, I think right now, are one, two. I'm going to eventually do a Bulls, you know, prospects big board for this draft, and I'll write something up on that probably, and we'll also talk about it on this show. But for now, uh, Culver's my number one, I'm thinking, and White's my number two. So yeah, I would take Culver if he drops to seven. I would take him over Kobe White. It's not going to fill like the obvious point guard need the Bulls have, but I like Culver so much just because I think he he just helps you win games. He's uh, just a smart two way player. The Bulls in so many of the mistakes they've made with this roster, it's been not drafting two way guys. So Culver doesn't have that like takeover scoring ability that I think oftentimes gets guys attention in the draft. Uh, he's established himself as you know potential top five, potential top ten pick in this draft. Despite that, I just think that, you know, while he might not be someone who's averaging 20 points a game, he's just going to help you win because he plays really good defense. He's really smart on both ends of the floor. He's a great off-ball defender, uh, which I think could help get him going in transition and help get some uh, good opportunities uh, for Levine, for Markkinen. I also think that he can, like, run some pick and rolls. And uh, this was another question we got asking if the Bulls would play Culver and Levine together in the backcourt, if they were to make that choice. I don't think they would actually do that when Culver's a rookie. But I think, you know, towards the end of the year, maybe towards the end of his rookie year or towards the second or third season, you could definitely see something like that. Basically, the book on Jared Culver is that his freshman year, he played almost exclusively off the ball at Texas Tech. Uh, I think he was the sixth man on that team. They had a pretty solid starting lineup. With some veteran guys, uh, Keenan Evans was the guy whose name I was blanking on. He was the senior point guard on that team two years ago. That's when Zaire Smith was a freshman. He ends up becoming a lottery pick. So they had a lot of turnover. I think they lost like seven of their top eight guys. Chris Beard basically made Culver the de facto point guard this year. The entire offense ran through him. And he was really good. He was able to run pick and rolls, you know, able to drop pocket passes, able to hit Tariq Owens, who was their center for lobs. The one thing Culver doesn't really have is like pull-up shooting ability, and like I said, like that takeover scoring ability. But I think that he's such a smart two-way player, good passer, good defender. Jump shots a bit of a question mark, but in general, I really like Jerry Culver, and I, I would take him at seven over Kobe White if both are available at that pick.
2: Yeah, it seems like that was a popular not not that question exactly, but kind of a popular theme among some of the questions, like. Because the big thing this summer, oh, well, the Bulls need a point guard. They're a point guard away from having like a complete starting lineup, which is, I mean, not totally true because the Bulls are a terrible team. They could use help everywhere. And that was, I think, a couple other people asked, like, do they really have to take a point guard in this draft? Like, should they go for a wing and then go for the point guard in free agency? And I feel like definitely, like, if a player like Culver, if you're super high on him, like, I, you know way more about these guys than I do. I've, like, I've tried to read, read up on them. I rely on you a lot for this stuff. uh yeah like I, I don't think it's something where like they have to take a point guard n- at number seven if one of them is available if, like if Kobe white or if Garland falls like I, I know you I feel like you've talked about this before like if, if it was Garland there instead of white and it was a like, Garland versus Culver. I mean you're still taking Culver. It seems like Culver you said is the best case scenario for the Bulls if he falls a seven. I think it's just in general that like if you if you like one of the wings there like, take them even if you have Zach Levine, you have Otto Porter there. But if you really like one of those wings, I feel like you, you do that. You address point guard elsewhere. I think one of the things that uh, I think Tom Fornelli asked the question, like would you rather – was, it was like choose one option. Bulls add another wing but keep Dunn as starting point guard. Bulls get a new point guard but enter the season with the same wings. I think like if you use that through the draft, like I'd be fine taking a really good wing and maybe even keeping Dunn as the starter for a little bit or adding another veteran point guard. I feel like it's it's not – a must where they have to take the point guard in the draft and clearly you do agree with that
1: yeah i would take culver if they could you're skipping ahead of my questions here jason i had that one lined up oh, i
2: know i know a lot of these kind of uh work together so i feel like i noticed a few of them that were very similar so i wanted to touch on those
1: yeah uh just to wrap up on culver like i don't think that he's going to be like probably an all-star level player but i think he's going to be really really good for a long time he'll just be the type of guy who helps them win games he'll be another player similar to wendell carter last year who I think his impact on winning will be greater than his raw box score statistics. Uh, Like, I don't know if Culver and if Wendell Carter are going to be averaging, you know, 20 points a game ever, but I think, you know, they're actually going to have an impact on winning because they're smart players, good passers, good defensive players. Just check a lot of boxes. So Culver, he'd be my guy at seven. I think the Bulls would be lucky to have him. Uh, Let's go to the second one. It's what do you make of the Jamal Murray, Kobe white comparison? Heard Sharks talking about it. Sharks is my guy. I haven't heard uh, that. It was probably on a Ringer podcast. I haven't heard that yet. And I agree with that. Like I think that Kobe White definitely fits into the mold. I've talked on this podcast before about how I think Zach Levine sort of fits into a similar mold of Jamal Murray and C.J. McCollum. Those two guys were going at it in a second round series. Both really showed out. I do think Levine is that type of potential, and really Kobe White is uh, is offers a similar skill set. I think, you know, with White, the hope is that he can play point guard. Murray, how often did Murray play point guard this year, Jason?
2: I mean, Jokic is basically like, I guess, the de facto point guard there. I mean, I feel like Murray was playing, like, I guess you can argue that he was playing like the point guard position, but in terms of, like, actually being, like, the main initiator on offense, they run they run the offense through Jokic, and Murray is more like, I guess, like a secondary ball handler there. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I like White. I would be happy if the Bulls took Kobe White. I think a better comparison might be Ben Gordon with like some superior point guard skills. Just in terms of you know the size, being able to get off three-pointers at volume, which Gordon was really good at. White was much better on the catch and shoot than he was off the dribble. And without looking at the stats, I just remember Gordon being a pretty good pull-up three-point shooter. Obviously, the three-pointer is so much more in vogue now than it was, you know, 10 years ago when Gordon was in his heyday on the Bulls. So I think Ben Gordon would be an even better player in today's era than he was when he played. Kobe White, I do think, could have a somewhat, you know, similar impact to Jamal Murray, but I think that while Murray is mostly a scorer, the Bulls would need White to be a little bit more of a, like, traditional point guard, a little bit. At least, like, get him pushing out in transition Yeah, I don't know. It's like, White is really a true combo guard. So the Bulls, while looking for a point guard in this draft, if you take Kobe White, I think, you know, best case scenario, he does develop into your point guard of the future. But if not, I still think he's got a, you know, he's just going to be a decently productive player, like he'll be a pretty good scorer, whether he's being the sixth man, whether they make a move, and ultimately he becomes your starting two guard. Like, I like Kobe White, but if they draft him, I wouldn't say like, oh, our one through five is complete. I would just be viewing it as like adding another pretty good player To the mix, who's like a quick, shifty ball handler who can shoot and who's a natural scorer. Like, that's his skill set. So as he continues to develop as a point guard, I think that's what could really take him to the next level. If he, like, proves to be a really good passer, low turnover guy, and someone who continues to improve his off off-dribble shooting. I like Kobe White. He's probably my number two guy for the Bulls right now.
2: Nice. Here's a question, another draft-related question from at G.I.Sci. What is the worst case scenario for the Bulls in this draft?
1: Yeah, I thought about that. That's tough to answer. I mean, I would probably say taking Cam Radish. Yeah, <laughs> like it's it's going to be someone. So it's like, who do you think is the biggest landmine? And I've always liked Radish. People who have followed my draft coverage might have noticed that I had Radish number one overall in my preseason mock draft. I went out to USA Basketball camp. I watched him there. I watched him on the EYBL. This is as he was going into his senior season, and I thought he was the best prospect in the gym in those events, and Zion played. It was just a loaded roster of most of the top guys in this draft, and I loved Cam Reddish then, but his numbers were just so bad. I think that he kind of doesn't have a great feel for the game. I don't think he's very athletic, uh, and he's just such an inefficient player. He'll have the lowest true shooting percentage of any first-round pick in this draft, or maybe it's the lowest effective field goal percentage and then for true shooting percentage, it's him and Taylor Horton Tucker, like right there. It was like 46% as his effective field goal percentage, which is just awful. You uh, shot under 40% on two-pointers, couldn't score around the rim at all. I still kind of like Reddish in a vacuum. If the Bulls could trade down, and this was another question from Will Gottlieb, you know, what trade-down options do you see? Would you rather move down or move out of this draft? If they could get Reddish in a trade-down I think that would be solid. First of all, I don't think he's going to last that long. He might not even last to seven, but I really wouldn't want him. Uh, despite the fact that I think he'll be like a a decent player uh, just because of his combination of height and shooting, there's there's better options in this draft, in my opinion. So I guess I would say that would be the worst case scenario.
2: Yeah, it seems like there's like a whole reddish like rehab tour going on before. And I feel like that generally happens with, I guess, just like talking up guys, especially given his hype coming to duke but i feel like there's been quite a bit of hype of hype around him like at the combine and like workouts after that and like he's visiting with i saw he's visiting with i think with the knicks and to have the third pick like i would i mean i would be very surprised if he went that high we last week when i was talking with cody shout out to cody our guest last week he was talking about how like he wouldn't mind the reddish pick even at seven just because like i mean i don't even know if you think he really has that high of a ceiling at this point but just like when it's compared to some of the other guys, like maybe Reddish is like the higher potential guy. Like, would you agree with that? That like just taking the, like the bulls, they're at a point where they still just need to take a chance on a guy and like hope that, that he hits the ceiling. Like, do you even think like his ceiling is that high anymore compared to what it, what it used to be?
1: Yeah. He reminds me of someone like Rodney hood and Rodney hood. actually had a pretty good playoff run for the blazers this postseason. But you know, I think that, He's more of a high floor guy than a high ceiling guy to be totally honest. Like to be a high ceiling guy, you just need to just be amazing and he has physical talent but his production was awful. He wasn't even a good power player this year at Duke. So it's tough for me to project him to eventually be a great NBA player, but I do think he could have a high floor just because you always need guys who can shoot and who are tall and long and who can play defense and You know, those are the boxes he checks. I don't think that he really has, like, star potential, though. Like, to me, he's more of a high-floor guy than a high-ceiling guy, which is exactly what I wrote in a big profile of Cam Radishal coming out at SB Nation. I don't know when they're going to publish it, but I wrote it. It's turned in, so it'll probably come out next week, I would assume, maybe at the end of this week. Yeah, I mean, I root for Cam because he's a really nice kid. I talked to his high school coach for that profile. I played at Westtown in Philadelphia. Uh, Seth Berger was his high school coach. They made a whole movie about that program. Mo Bamba played there too. Uh, They were teammates when Reddish was a junior. Bamba was a senior. They also had Brandon Randolph, who's been a pretty good wing for Arizona the last two seasons. Berger was a really nice guy. He seems to think that Cam's going to be better in the NBA than he was at Duke because of NBA spacing. Uh, My retort to that is I think every player would be better at NBA spacing. It's not like that benefits one guy more than anyone else. That's just like a overall beneficial thing about playing in the league for young players you know reddish is definitely to me one of the most polarizing guys in this draft it'll be fascinating to see where he gets taken
2: yeah totally agree with you i've like i said i i don't want to completely hate on the guy i've been very harsh on him i feel like just in general watching games like i don't if the bulls do take him like i would not be like thrilled i guess but i i'm not going to completely like clown the guy and like completely give up on him right away so i guess I, i guess we'll see we'll see how that goes
1: uh, what trade down options do you see? So, yeah, this is one we talked about. Would you rather move down, move out? So, like, the the Celtics are the obvious trade down candidate, right? They got 14, they got 20, and they got 22. So, would you do 20 and 14 for 7? I would think that would be pretty good value, even though the Bulls once traded, what, 14 and 16 for 10, like total dummies to get Doug McDermott. That was just an objectively horrible trade. Uh, I do think 14 and 20 is pretty good value. I might do that even if Kobe White's on the board. I would take Culver if he's on the board. I really like him. He's my favorite player in this draft, as the listeners probably know. But I think I'd do 14 and 20 if he's not there. What do you think about that?
2: I mean, do you think the Celtics would do that? Do you think? I mean, do you, I guess do you think they would rather use number seven to try to trade for Anthony Davis? I'm, I'm just assuming that they're going to try to package a bunch of picks to get Davis. Uh, I guess I'm not really sure. sure I in this draft, especially like I don't know if who the Pelicans would really like. Like, do you think that they would try to do something else like that first before? Move, or I, I don't. Even, I'm not even totally sure. Like, in terms of if it was on the table, I guess. I guess it might depend on who's actually available at the time. Like, I guess. I guess I'm just like I'm not super in love with any of these guys, and I feel like more bites at the apple in a draft where it seems like once you get past the first couple guys, like a lot of these guys are kind of similar. Like, I guess I wouldn't shut that down immediately. I would at least have to think about it just to get more assets and the bulls need more depth. And if they can add two first rounders and then whatever, they got a second round or two, like, I don't think that's the worst idea. Like if they like a guy at number seven, I mean, absolutely. Just take that guy. Like I said, if it's a guy like Culver, if they really like one of the point guards, take him. But I, I would not be opposed to trading down just in general for that trade. Any other deals out there, I feel like getting the bulls are still in a place where asset collection is important. I mean, oh, asset collection is always important, but especially now when you're rebuilding, getting more, he said, bites at the apple is, always, is never a bad thing, so I, I wouldn't hate it, I guess.
1: Yeah, and it makes sense for the Celtics, I think, because they have 14, 20, and 22. It's like, what do you need all those picks for? Do they really need to add three first-round rookies? Maybe they just want Kobe White, or maybe they want you know someone else in this draft. So if the Bulls do get 14 and 20, let's say, a couple names to think about. I really like P.J. Washington from Kentucky. He's one of my favorite players in this draft. I think he's awesome. 6'8", 230, 7'3", wingspan. Uh, racked up some pretty solid block and steals numbers. His big improvement this year was as a three-point shooter. He only made five threes as a freshman, came back to Kentucky for his sophomore year, and he made like close to 40 threes. He was like a 44% three-point shooter. He's probably a four, and he's still more of a traditional front court guy than a wing, but I think he can play on the perimeter in the NBA because he really improved his ball handling. I would take him at 14 if he was available. Obviously, the Bulls already have you know, Markenden and Carter, so you, it's not a great positional fit. Uh, they would probably want, you know, more of a point guard ideally or a wing, but uh, I like PJ Washington. I'd take him at 14. At 20, there's a couple names I like. I'd like Taylor Horton Tucker, Chicago kid, played at Simeon High School last year, uh, small forward for Iowa State. He's the youngest player in this draft, doesn't turn 19 until November. 6'4, 240 pounds, seven foot wingspan. Gets off three pointers at crazy high volume, has a you know a tendency to like really fill the box score. Gets steals, uh, pretty good assist guy, pretty good in transition uh, when he gets near the basket. So I like Horton Tucker. I think that he would be a good option for them. I like Chuma Okiki, who is a three and D potential guy from Auburn. He tore his ACL against North Carolina in the Sweet Sixteen this year. Auburn eventually goes on wins that game, goes to the Final Four. Uh O'Kiki was having the game of his life and he got hurt against Carolina. I've seen people compare him to Robert Covington before. I think that he has really good potential as a dude who could be an elite defender, is a good catch and shoot guy, and can kind of attack a closeout. Uh so I really like Chuma Okiki. I would take a chance on Horton Tucker, and I really like uh PJ Washington out of Kentucky.
2: Nice. Uh before we move on, we are going to take a quick break for a special word from us here at Cash Considerations and Blue Wire Pods. Hey, this is Jason Pat, co-host of the Cash Considerations podcast. Check out my podcast and others on the network by searching Blue Iron, iTunes, Spotify, and other podcast players.
1: All right, next question comes from Fornelli. We already read it off. But he said, choose one bulls, add another useful wing, but keep down a starting point guard Bulls get a new point guard, but enter the season with the same wings. Uh, I'd revamp the wings. I mean, if they could get Culver, like I said, that's my dude. I would take him with a pick, even if it means starting Chris Dunn at point guard next year. Also, they've got, what, 18 19 million in salary cap space. I'm surprised no one asked about free agent signings, but, you know, I wouldn't be shocked.
2: Oh, somebody if- did. Somebody did. Somebody asked about Brogdon, so we could talk about that. I can't remember who. I think the question was basically just like, what would it take to get Brogdon to be a point guard?
1: Yeah, and would he be worth it? I think that that's a really interesting debate that we're probably going to talk more about on later episodes. I don't love Brogdon because I think he's basically like a short 3-and-D shooting guard, yeah. not really a natural point guard. You could look at his assist numbers. I don't have him on hand, but my, my – I do I
2: did a like, couple of game, 3-4 game, definitely not high.
1: Yeah, I don't view him as like a natural playmaker. I view him more as like a tough defender – who can hit some threes and you know, he's pretty much a money shooter from everywhere on the floor. He hit 43% of his threes, only four times a game though. He hit 93% of his free throws. He's pretty tough as a defensive player, obviously super smart guy. They call him the president because of just the way he carries himself and how smart he was at Virginia. I wouldn't throw, I mean, what are you going to do? Throw 15 million a year at Malcolm Brogdon?
2: I think I think it'll take more. Honestly, I think because like, I mean, I guess it depends. A lot depends probably on just like what the bucks and their looks. Like I know they're going to be run up against the tax because they got Middleton, Brogdon, Brooke Lopez, and Nico all going to be free agents, all going to want to be paid. I mean, Nico was terrible in the playoffs. I would assume they're not going to bring him back. They would love to have Lopez back, love to have Brogdon back. Obviously love to have Middleton back. I mean, I think it would take probably a lot. I mean, I think I would probably, it would probably take more than 15. I feel like Brogdon, will probably be pretty coveted because even if he isn't whatever, like a natural point guard, like dude just had a 50, 40, 90 season, such a solid two-way player. He's basically go, coming into his prime, like with a decent amount of money out there, even as like a s- second or third tier guy, like I I wouldn't surprise me if he's pushing like 18. I know I've had some people ask me like, would you use basically like all your caps on Brogdon? Like I've kind of thought about it. Like, I don't know if it'd be like, like if they drafted, say they got Culver at seven and then you like use a ton of cap space on Brogdon, I wouldn't hate it. Like I think because it would weaken the bucks. Brogdon, it would be, I feel like it'd be a tradable contract, even if it was a bit overpaid, like especially with the cap going up. Like, I would at least think about throwing him a lot of money. Was I think because I think if if you're considering like I know Levine's not a natural point guard either, but if he if he's gonna have the ball on his hands in general, I know Porter's done a little more ball handling either, like do they need like the ball dominant point guard necessarily i think it would be helpful to have a better playmaker at the point but like if levine's going to be doing a bunch of ball handling anyways like i feel like brogdon's at least makes sense as that three and d fit there if they're not going to have like a whatever pure point guard type i was talking about this a while ago i was thinking about it i wouldn't hate it if their main offseason was like culver brogdon i feel like that'd be pretty good and then you'd add obviously a couple other you need some depth in the front court some other at a few other smaller parts, there like I wouldn't hate that to be
1: honest. Yeah, that I mean that would be a hell of an offseason. they he hit Culver and Brogdon. You're right, Brogdon. only been in the year, only been in the league three years, but he'll be 26. I guess he'll turn 27 this year. He turns 27 in December. So yeah, I mean the next contract is gonna like last the duration of his prime. I feel like I would rather have like Lonzo than Brogdon. I don't know if Lonzo is really going to be available. Uh, obviously, he's still under contract. Brogdon, I mean, yeah, I talk myself into it. I don't think I would love it personally. I think there might be better moves out there for the Bulls, but I wouldn't hate it if they did it. It would at least be someone who, you know, is the right age. You got him for the rest of his prime. He can grow at the core. I think that's pretty interesting. Last question I really want to tackle here because I've been thinking about it throughout the day, I've been texting with a couple friends about it. Uh, and it centers on if the Bulls could go out and get CP3. Woj tweeted earlier today that. Houston is aggressively trying to improve the team uh, and that CP3 could be on the table. What do you think of this, Jason? Would you go for CP3 if you were the Bulls?
2: No, absolutely not. I mean, I just don't, if they were like close to being good, sure. I just like, what do you, I mean, that contract is enormous and it's got what, four years left. You'll be paying him like 50 million or 40 million or some crap when he's like 36. He's been injury prone, like if he was, like, uh, if they were closer to being better, he's still a good player when he's healthy. Just, I, like, what are you giving up? Like, I just don't feel like the Bulls are in a position to be, like, giving up. I mean, with that contract, I don't know if you, if you have to give up that much. Yeah, so, like, this year he made $35.6 million, $38.5 million next year, $41.3 2020, then player option $44.2 2021. You have to imagine he's opting into that. Like, I mean, that is just crazy big money for a guy who's, on the decline his body has been breaking down he's still good but like i mean they're not trading for him to get over the hump here like what are you trading him for i guess like he'll he'll help the rebuild a bit being a pure point guard like he would probably help develop the young guys a little bit but just like that could go really really bad especially depending on i guess what you give up
1: i actually love the basketball fit though i think that while it's a ton of money and i'd much rather have jimmy butler than have chris paul and butler would be making less money than paul would be and the reason they traded butler in the first place i think is because they didn't want to pay him on this contract i do think paul would be massively beneficial for the roster like we talk about zach levine playing with the ball in his hands and playing on the ball initiating a lot of the offense to me zach levine needs to be saved from himself in a lot of ways and i think having someone like cp3 who the offense would really run through like when cp3 is on the floor he's, he's the general Everything would go through him. I think that would really help Markinen and Carter. I think that it would help Levine be the best version of himself. Now, they might hate CP3 because CP3 is really demanding. So that would also be something else to factor in. Uh, the next three years, he's going to be 34, 35, 36. Uh, and then he hits UFA, unrestricted free agency at 37. Obviously, it's just so much money, and that's why he probably wouldn't do it. But I don't think it's the worst idea. And I kind of hate myself for saying this I've never been a big CP3 guy. I think he's super annoying. But I do think that he is the type of point guard the Bulls need. And I think he would be really beneficial for the young players on their roster.
2: I'm fascinated to see, like, if they do trade him or if they try to trade him. Just like, what does that deal even look like? Because, I mean, you're going to have to match salaries somewhat. The Bulls won't, can't absorb and totally in the cap. or so just any team, like, matching that salary and, like, what assets are changing hands They're Like, his contract's so – he's good, but his contract's so huge, like – Would the Rockets have to like? I mean, the Rockets are gonna trade a pick to trade CP3 away, but like, I'm really curious what they would end up having to give. Like, what? I mean, compare like Chris Paul versus like a Mike Conley trade. Like, I'm curious to see what the difference would be there because Conley is what like one or two years younger. Uh, maybe is Conley just as good at this point? Like, maybe a little. Paul's probably a little better still. The money's a bit less. I think it was like a year less on his contract. I mean, the money is obviously way less. Conley's got a huge deal, and it wouldn't doesn't really even touch Chris Paul's deal. Like,
1: I just I have no idea what that trade would look like. Are the years the same for Conley?
2: Uh, I think Conley's got like one less year. Let me let me go pull up his as well.
1: Well, it, what I've been thinking about this too is like from the Rockets' perspective, it would make sense to move CP3, but you're not going to move him just a salary dump, it,
2: right? Exactly.
1: Yeah, unless that would open up like you know significant free agent room for him. I don't know what their books look be. Yeah,
2: I mean, I, I, you never really know what, like, Maury's going for. Because, I mean, like you said, the report was like, oh, like, basically everybody's available. James Harden probably not. But, like, it's crazy because, like, the Rockets, I feel like clearly were the second best team in the West this year. They won 65 games last year. They pushed the Warriors to the brink. They had them on the ropes this year until they kind of fell apart. And they're still, like, really good. But they, like, they're not, Maury's not satisfied. They just fired, like, their entire coaching staff, like, after D'Antoni. They're looking at making big changes there. Like it's kind of crazy that they're looking to make these huge moves. Mori's never satisfied, always looking to tinker, always looking to deal. And yeah, I'm really fascinated to see what they do after bowing out again. I guess staying with, I guess staying with the Rockets, but moving on to the rest of the roster. Is anybody else there? Like, you think the Bulls should look into? Like, should they look into somebody like Eric Gordon or like would they make PJ Tucker available? Like, what about any of those other guys? I know, I know they said Capella's available right now. Like, I don't really. See a need to trade for Clint Capello when you have a young Wendell Carter Jr. there. But any of those other guys, do you think the Bulls should make a play on any other Rockets besides CP3?
1: No, because those guys are like ready right now to like win playoff series and the rest of the Bulls' young court isn't. But thinking back on it, man, the Rockets really just should have made the Jimmy Butler trade. Like that would have been nasty with him there, but you know, they didn't do it. And uh, yeah, now who who knows? Didn't
2: they? I I thought, didn't the T Wolves shut that? down though oh, yeah. are you talking about like the four first round pick yeah trade offer yeah i mean clearly they wanted to go all in and that would have been huge for them just to have another stud wing and we saw jimmy was awesome in the playoffs with the sixers and uh i mean the, especially the, the sixers were talking about firing brett brown and all that stuff and possibly doing some big stuff there And they took the raptors longer than the bucks did, which is pretty crazy and jimmy was awesome that series It would have been awesome to see jimmy on the rockets then going up against the warriors but yeah crazy crazy shit going down in Houston. Were there any other questions here you wanted to answer? I know we've we got a bunch. There are certainly probably a few others we could look through here. Do, did you have any other ones you who had highlighted?
1: No that I mean that's the only one that uh, those are the only ones I had. so thanks to everyone who asked us some questions. I think that we'll, we'll do this again soon.
2: Yeah, let me let me just roll through, and see if there's any other just quick ones we can go through. We got obviously got a few fired Garpacks ones. There's a funny one: is how mad are Garpacks that they've to scout more than seven players this year? Classic. Oh, actually, there was. Here's a, actually here's a really quick fun one. Draft one. <laughs> Would you trade the number seven pick in the entire Bulls roster for Zion Williamson?
1: Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Next
2: question. <laughs> Next from Mark. Or good guy MK Oops. When The Bulls inevitably, inevitably, inevitably. I can't speak English here. Draft Cam Reddish and sign Terry Rozier to a four-year deal. How do you think this will be spun?
1: Uh, it'll be spun that you know this was the plan all along, and I don't know, man. It's just gonna be the same drivers, they always say. So <laughs> I, I hope they don't sign Terry Rozier. <laughs> to me, that would be the worst case scenario.
2: For the yeah, there you go. Yeah, that answers. I guess that kind of answers that other question before about the worst case scenarios. You said Cam Reddish, and then giving like a huge. Huge money to to Razier. Okay, Uh, from John Greenberg, a fun little joke when it ends you as a White Sox fan. If you're Jerry Reinsdorf, Patrick Beverly or Dallas Keuchel?
1: Uh, Give me Patrick Beverly. I don't really know who Dallas Keuchel is. I'm aware he's a pitcher who hasn't been signed because baseball owners are colluding against the players to not sign any free agents. So I know the story, but uh, I'm not super familiar with how talented he is. So I'll just go Pat Bev. I need Pat Bev in Chicago. I would love Pat Bev. I love Chicago so much if you follow him on social media that, you know, he might take an offer from the Bulls for comparable money uh, over a better team.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would would be totally – I know the Chicago thing hasn't exactly worked lately for the Bulls. I guess it's just Jabari and I guess D. Rose turned out pretty terribly after some good stuff, but – yeah, Petra, I feel like Petra, like the Bulls talk about all their macho. Like we laugh at their macho, like toughness, grit, kind of crap. But I feel like a guy like Beverly is like exactly what this team would need, and it'd, it would be fun, even though he is a little older. Not his timeline doesn't totally match up either, but he seems like just a super easy guy to root for. The Clippers fucking love him, and uh, as a Chicago guy, that'd be that'd be dope. Yeah, I think uh, that pretty much wraps it up here. Like I said, thank you to everybody for sending in all these questions. We are sorry if we didn't get all of them. I said we tried to answer as many as we can. Any other lingering thoughts? Anything that's happened in the last week? You did, I believe the NBA finals
1: are starting. Do you have any NBA finals takes here, Ricky? Yeah, I think the Raptors have a good chance. I would take Warriors in seven. That is what I'm leaning towards as well. Because at the end of the day, I'm just such a huge believer in the Steph Draymond combination. Uh, but the Raptors are awesome, man. I think that. Uh, Kawhi is the type of guy who could give him some trouble because it's going to be similar, I think, to the 2016 finals when the Cavs actually yeah. pulled off the upset, which they probably never would have done if Draymond didn't get suspended for that game five. But just the way they were playing was like very reminiscent of a football team that was like pounding the run and controlling time of possession, uh, and just like slowing down the game. And I think that that's how the Raptors are going to play. They played the Bucks; They grinded those games down to a damn halt. But oh, yeah. Like, the last game was the slowest game of the playoffs. Kawhi is so good at basically just like being that featured running back and just like chipping away. He hasn't been putting up the most efficient stat lines, but he's been putting up crazy good stats just because his, his will is incredible. He's able to manufacture offense without giving out, without giving up like long runouts on his misses. It it really just all comes back to Kawhi. If he's not gassed after, you know, carrying the team throughout these last two rounds, Uh, and if he plays up to his absolute peak like he has uh, in the previous series, I do think the Raptors have a chance, but he's going to have to be superhuman. At the end of the day, I'm still going with, Steph and Draymond, give me Warriors and seven.
2: Yeah, I'm with you for the most. I think it's going at least six, and I was leaning towards Warriors and seven as well. Especially with KD, we don't. He's out for game one, probably out for game two, and maybe even longer. It's been kind of a mystery. And I think this. You mentioned this stuff about like the football game, like the, the way the Raptors play defense, just their length, their versatility, their physicality. Definitely can muck up, I think, some of the Warriors' half-court sets. And I feel like that's where KD – I mean, KD's obviously awesome in general. The Warriors are better with Kevin Durant, like no matter what to say. They might be more fun to watch, easier to root for when they're the Steph and Draymond Warriors. But KD, especially in a series like this, if the, with the Raptors clamping down defensively, if they're going to be mucking up Steph on all that off-ball movement, just being able to throw to KD would really help. So we'll see when he comes back. We'll see what, what Cousins can offer. I don't really think Boogie's going to be make that much of an impact coming off this injury. I mean, just – He's barely been healthy all season. I don't see much there. But, yeah, I think the Raptors have a great chance, too. And I've, I just – the Raptors are a great story. I have, we, as Bulls fans here, we clown the Raptors for a while because there was the whole – the Bulls had that whole really long streak against the Raptors whenever whenever that was, a couple of years ago. And the, tra- the whole trashers thing was, was always fun to make fun of them. But the fact that they made this gutsy move to trade for Kawhi and then they end up going to the finals – and doing it just like and the way that you mentioned the way they beat the Bucks like I thought the Bucks were going to win that series in seven and they went up 2 two zero, and then the Raptors like you said they just grinded them down. I was when I was I wrote I wrote a preview over at Bet Chicago for this finals and just looking at some of the numbers the Raptors like D rating in those last four games against the Bucks was like one hundred two point something and the Bucks up to that point had an offensive rating of over one thirteen they were one of the best offensive offensive teams in the league. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how the Raptors, if they're able to slow down the Warriors, when KD comes back. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Hopefully uh, we get a really good series and not like the last couple of years where the Warriors basically just kind of crushed the Cavs, even though there were some good games in there as well. But, uh, yeah, hopefully this series goes deep, and uh, I'm really really looking forward to it. All right. Uh, for Jason,
1: I'm Ricky. This has been Cash Considerations.
2: Yep. And uh, as always, shout out to Blue Wire Podcast. Follow all the Blue Wire networks with the finals coming up. We got our Warriors pod. Light Years, Andy and Sam, great guys, bringing great Warriors coverage. Listen to Blue Wire Buckets, our, our playoff pod. We'll be, doing, we'll be doing stuff throughout the NBA finals. We've got a bunch of great guys cycling in and out, doing, bringing you analysis of the playoffs and now, and now the finals. And, of course, follow us at Blue Wire Pods on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. And for cash considerations, please check us out wherever you listen to your podcasts and rate and review us itunes stitcher spotify google play all that fun stuff so as always from jason ricky take it easy man have a good one and let's enjoy these finals
1: later